This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Mornings with Simi on 980 CKNW. Well, tomorrow is Municipal Election Day, and yes, provincial politicians will be watching closely. For more on that, we're joined by the Vancouver Sun's Vaughn Palmer this morning. Hello, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. Okay, so which race do you think they're watching really closely? Vancouver very closely. Uh, for one thing, uh, the New Democrats have gone out of their way to try to help Kennedy Stewart and his slate get elected. But the other thing is they are wondering just how significant is the public safety issue going to be as a determinant in what's going to happen there. Yeah, spoiler alert, it's big. Seize the initiative in that race and put Stewart on the defensive on the public safety issue first and foremost. Uh, the polls suggest the momentum is behind Sim. We'll see who's got the best get-out-the-vote exercise. But, no, I, I mean, because the provincial government is on the defensive on the public safety issue, if Sim wins, the New Democrats are going to be probably sent back to the political equivalent of the drawing board on their own defensiveness on this, realizing this issue has is taken off with the public. It's so interesting that they have invested that in Kennedy Stewart, but and who was not ever a provincial politician, but Ginny Sims, who yeah. was a provincial politician, is running for mayor in Surrey and has not seen that same level of support. No, they've not. Uh, I mean, Ginny is a provincial cabinet minister. She's a current NDP MLA, but you look at the situation in Surrey, uh, obviously the New Democrats won't miss Doug McCallum, although they certainly worked with him on transit. But they have not said, hey, Surrey, you've got to get behind Ginny. Uh, instead, I mean, the polls out there again, and you know, we never know with polls, but um, looks like uh, the front runner out there is Brenda Locke, who's a, a former McCallum ally and a former BC Liberal cabinet minister and MLA. So yes, uh, the New Democrats have invested a lot more in trying to save Kennedy Stewart uh, than they have in trying to elect their own MLA out in Surrey. Right. Okay. And so that's so interesting to me because the issues, you know, might be different, whether it's housing, but they've clearly picked Kennedy Stewart in Vancouver. I wonder how they feel about that choice these days. Well, you know, the funny thing about it is, is that initially, uh, Stewart, a former NDP federal MP, but, you know, relations between federal New Democrats and provincial New Democrats are not always that great, even though they're all in the same one big happy family party. Uh, so they've lined up behind him, I guess, because they like his agenda. They and they don't want um, the public safety issue to triumph in Vancouver. The, but you know, they're as I say, they're riding to his rescue, but they're doing so belatedly. And I, I think it would be fair to say that Stewart took him a while to pick up on this too. So it's not because they're. Yeah old allies and friends so much as they really don't want the other issue to triumph there because they are very worried that it'll put momentum behind BC Liberal attack 
on the government for failing on the public safety issue. Well, it's a way certainly to take the temperature of people. Uh, But growth in housing is also a big issue because you pointed out the race in Langford, which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, housing is a... I've heard mayors and councillors talk about this, that, you know, when they first got into civic politics, it was more about... Uh, civic stuff, you know, potholes and street lights and sewers and property taxes, yes, but it was much more local issues. But one of the things that's happened is that issues that where the provincial and federal government actually have more levers to pull and can do more, issues like public safety and affordable housing are now uh, municipal politicians are being called to account for that. Everybody talks about you know, more affordable housing. There's nobody opposed to it running. But the question in a number of key races is how much will a local council do to expedite approval of major housing projects? So the Vancouver plan is obviously a big deal. But I was struck yesterday there was a giant wraparound, you know, four-page wraparound on the Victoria paper by Stu Young, the longtime mayor of Langford, saying, vote for my team out here in Langford and make sure that all of the councillors that support me get reelected. So Langford is the fastest growing community in British Columbia. It is hometown to Premier John Horgan. Um, it has approved, I think last year, Simi Langford approved 1,700 housing units versus two dozen boo hiss in Oak Bay. So, but Young, uh, Young himself is probably going to get reelected, but he's concerned about losing his council majority. He's facing a, a group of people running. The, uh, Young's uh, councillors are facing a challenge from people who say Langford is growing too quickly, needs to stop and catch its breath. So, You know, that's not surprising, I guess, if you think of the community growing quickly. But up to now, um, that notion has not been in question in Langford. Provincial politicians will watch that too, Simi, particularly because David Eby is saying if he becomes premier, uh, he's going to be putting, he's going to be changing legislation to put more pressure on local government to expedite more housing because we're not building enough housing in British Columbia. Right. And speaking of that leadership race, that was an interesting announcement from Anjali Apadurai yesterday. That's a pretty big across-the-board raise that she's talking about for frontline healthcare workers. I, I didn't hear her answer if she was asked the question, how does she expect to pay for that? Uh, she says uh, that it's affordable entirely, and uh, she cites uh, some work by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives and the fact that the provincial budget is in surplus. So she says it's affordable. She didn't cost it, but, um, I mean, a 25% pay raise for nurses, as it happened, she announced that on the same day as the provincial government announced it had settled with another group of healthcare workers, uh, they're called the Facilities Bargaining Association. But the facilities are hospitals. These are members of the Hospital Employees Union for the most part. So all the people that work in the hospitals, except for nurses and technicians and doctors. And the government settled with them, 60,000 of them, for 14% over three years. So talk about departing from the government strategy for public sector bargaining, Abadurai steps in and says, oh, I'd give nurses 
on a day when other healthcare workers have taken 14% over three years. So she's a disruptor. She's an outsider. Yeah. She's not on the same page as the provincial government. We've known that, but her timing on this big pay proposal for nurses, I think, just underscores that. Costing depends on how long the 25% would be spread over SIMI. Depends on whether or not other unions would have Me Too clauses saying they get the same thing. But my guess is, looking at it just without her details, is it would add billions of dollars to the cost of the provincial government payroll. Well, that's the key, I think, thing that you just said there. I mean, I think she needs to be asked these questions now. If you're going to start making these kinds of policy announcements, I think we need to know, if you want to be premier, how are you going to pay for that? That's the big question. Well, as I said, her initial statement was, yes, it's affordable and uh, it can all be done. Um, I, you know, part of the thing with her is there's still a huge question mark over her. She has not been approved yet as a candidate right. for the NDP leadership. And it's not 100% clear that the party will approve her. Uh, the party may not a green lighter, or they may simply disallow a lot of the people that are uh, supporting her. So we still don't know how this leadership campaign is going to unfold. We think, as we've been told, that the NDP will make a final decision, the party executive will make a final decision uh, next week, Wednesday, I think, October the 19th. But it's, I mean, <laughs> this leadership race is a giant question mark over it, whether or not there will be a race, whether David Eby will be the only candidate, whether the party is going to try to figure a way to sort of muscle Apatari out of the thing. Uh, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. But, I, you know, I, on, on Saturday, everybody in the government will be edge of your seat to see who they're going to be dealing with at local council level, who won, what worked. How did incumbents do? Uh, whose advertising campaigns were effective? Who uh, turned the race around on social media? I mean, there's huge, huge interest in this because, of course, uh, provincial politicians pick up the stuff that works for their own campaigns. I know so much. That's why I'm so fascinated by this election this year. All right, Vaughn, thank you. Bye-bye, Simi. This is Mornings with Simi. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So much discussion these days about how the Ministry of Health is going to solve our healthcare crisis, solve our doctor shortage in this province. So where does midwifery fit into that picture? Well, it turns out the BC Midwives Association thinks they actually have an important role to play in the solutions too. So we thought, let's find out more about that. Leahy Spegelman joins us now, president of the Midwives Association of British Columbia. Leahy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Simi. So what is it that you've suggested to the government? Well, you know, midwives are currently delivering about 25% of all the maternity care in the province. We know that's really essential primary care services for families. And we want to keep doing that. We need some support just like every other healthcare profession right now to make sure we're sustainable, that we're able to recruit, that we're able to retain our midwives who've been working, some of us, uh, several decades in this amazing profession in BC. 
and just make sure that this profession is thriving so we can continue working alongside our family physicians, our nursing teams, and everyone else to keep this healthcare system together. So do you feel that if there's more midwives that are used, it would ease kind of the the pressure on doctors in that part of the system? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, this is going to take big solutions and we're going to have to all work together. And one thing we know is that maternity care is is going to require a lot of support. And uh, the more midwives that we can get, uh, the more that we can fill in some of the gaps where communities are really strained and physicians are really strained and you know, many of them do have to step out and uh, and take care of that sort of more uh, family care services and, and uh, longitudinal care services. And we really want to make sure that midwives can step into some of those gaps. I was just thinking, you mentioned that some midwives have been doing this for decades. And I think, boy, have they ever seen attitudes towards midwives change in this province alone during that time, haven't they? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I started midwifery in the early 2000s, and it was a very different, very different world back then. And now, you know, back then, I think we were doing probably 5% of the births. So to learn in the last year that it's closer to 27%, that's a big change. Yeah. So what does it take to make some of these changes happen then, Lee? Is that uh, more association with hospitals? It's like, like, where do we need to make that leap, do you think? You know, that's a good question, and we're really uh, working with the ministry to just understand what's it going to take. And and some of the key words, you know, uh, that we're throwing around here, and you're probably hearing too, is just around team-based care. And how do we maximize how midwives can fit into team-based care? How do we maximize the services that we already do and make sure that there's increased access for other patients, you know, especially in remote in rural areas, especially for Indigenous communities, we want to support our Indigenous midwives to really be able to do that important cultural work across the province. So do you feel like we're close to making some progress on this? Do you think, is, is the ministry listening? The ministry is listening, and I think, you know, they're listening and they're, they're hearing it from so many different angles. And um, it's going to really take some of those innovative solutions, finding new ways of addressing the problems, uh, and making sure that we're really sustaining the profession, making sure that we're reaching uh, all the areas of BC to ensure that all the communities have the support they need to keep births close to home, uh, to keep maternity services stable and, uh, and uh, viable for families. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us to talk about it this morning. Thanks, Simi. Have a great day. This is Mornings with Simi. Cut back on water use. That is the message from Metro Vancouver right now as we continue to experience these drought-like conditions well into fall. You just heard the forecast there from Mark Madriga. doesn't sound like there's any kind of rain or precipitation in the forecast until maybe, and maybe, he said, late next week. So what is it that we need to do? Joining us now is Inder Singh, Director of Interagency Projects and Quality Control with Metro Vancouver Water Services. Inder, thank you so much for being with us. Hello, good morning. So where are we at in terms of our water usage right now? At this point, uh, the water use is actually definitely quite higher compared to where we normally would be this time of the year. We're around 20% um, using more consumption than typically um, in, in, in the fall period. And why do we think that is? It's uh, directly re- a result of the current uh, conditions that we have outside in terms of weather. As uh, Mark Madriga just uh, noted, we're into this prolonged uh, stretch of dry weather. It's uh, very warm, much 
uh, warmer than usual for this time of the year. And typically after Labor Day, we usually result in a much cooler weather pattern uh, as well as a drop in the water demands, which is not what we're seeing right now. So how is this impacting our water reservoirs? Well, our reservoirs, uh, we have three primary sources of supply, and um, we're quite blessed with uh, the ones that we do have, but they are being drawn down. And so uh, the storage levels that we have are still adequate for our current needs. But if you look at, again, the normal pattern of their usage over the last few years, uh, we're definitely drawing them down a lot quicker than we would have um, under normal conditions. Right. So normally at this time of year, what are those normal conditions? What would we normally have seen? Let me just put something into perspective here. If you look at our watersheds, which is a source of our supply, um, starting around August the 1st uh, to about this point in time, we would have used about 50 or we would have received about 50 millimeters of rainfall. And uh, typically, that's all we've actually received to date. And typically, we would be more around 400 millimeters of rainfall. In fact, uh, last year, between August and this period, we actually received close to 650. So... It's a significant reduction in the amount of uh, rain that we're receiving in our reservoirs. Wow, that is a very stark difference there. So I guess we really do count on those fall rains, don't we? We may not like the turn in the weather, but they're very necessary. Well, the fall rains is what we rely upon to replenish our supplies. So during the summer, uh, Vancouver is typically around the year, um, fall, winter periods in the spring, quite a wet uh, place. But when we get into uh, the summer period, it tends to dry out, as what we've uh, seen this year and uh, on several past years as well. So we do rely upon those fall rains uh, through the winter to replenish, as well as the snowpack, which is also quite important. Okay, so what do you need people to do? What What would Metro Vancouver like us to change? Our key um, message is for everyone to really focus on the outdoor navigation because that by far is the uh, largest area of water consumption is what we apply to our lawns, as an example, if you're in a uh, single-family type of a residence. So let your lawns go golden. Uh, The rains will come, and uh, they may be delayed, obviously, for another few weeks, but they will come. And uh, any grass or turf that's gone dormant will pop right back to uh, its normal healthy green colour. Um, but at this point in time, we want to conserve water outdoors. Um, if you don't have a single-family property, then uh, whatever we can do indoors is, uh, is also important. So focusing on making sure that we use our treated drinking water well in terms of its primary use, whether it's cooking, cleaning, drinking, showers, etc. But uh, do focus on reducing outdoor water use. How serious is the situation right now, Inder? Like, should we really be worried about this? Given the fact that we have three primary sources of supply, and uh, which is a good asset that Metro Vancouver has uh, retained over the decades in developing our supply sources, uh, we need to be always vigilant at this time of the year. So if the rains come, we obviously will be in a pretty decent shape. If they don't, and I'm not going to preclude the fact that um, we could have an extended dry fall, is that we all need to, to pitch together to make sure that we use water wisely. So it's trying to get ourselves over this little hump that we're in right now. And again, focusing on the outdoor water use is the key way of, um, of achieving that reduction in demands. All right, Inder, thank you so much for your time on that. You're very welcome. This is Mornings with Simi.
Tomorrow is election day. It is a big one right across BC. In fact, right across the province, Metro Vancouver, we've heard a lot of similarity with the issues that are being discussed. Sure, housing, huge issue, affordability, the pace of development, cutting red tape. But of course, there's also public safety. So this week, we are turning our attention to the mayoral race in Surrey, and we have been focusing on that issue of public safety. In Surrey, this has been on the forefront for years. Replacing the Surrey RCMP with a municipal police force, that was a huge promise in the 2018 election. Some might argue as well that it swayed uh, the eventual winner, Doug McCallum, uh, to victory because of that promise. Having enough officers, getting this force up and running, all of that once again front and center in this race of 2022. Most importantly, though, I think for Surrey residents, will this make a difference in your community? Will you feel safer as a result of these public safety policies from the different candidates there? So we've been talking to the major mayoral candidates, and we are down to Suk Dhaliwal, mayoral candidate for Surrey United, who joins us this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Good morning, Sarah, to you and your listeners. Now, let's start with the issue of policing, because we've talked about this with every candidate that we have had. Uh, What do you plan to do with the transition to the Surrey Police Service? Where do you stand on that? Uh, If we look at this, uh, you know, President Mayor and Council uh, could not uh, complete uh, their, uh, you know, this transition because this was their promise that they will finish this by April 2022. But uh, we as the team uh, going to continue and make sure that we complete this transition in an open, transparent way so people know uh, how long it's going to take, how much it's going to cost. Okay, so does that mean you would press pause on it to, to find out all that information? No, not at all, because sooner we get this done, better it is. So we're going to continue uh, to keep the transition going, but at the same time, uh, we can triage the system, how we can manage the uh, 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 things moving uh, forward. Okay, so then do you think more officers are needed in Surrey? You're still stuck at this number of about 840 officers. It's been that way for the last three or four years. Uh, Certainly, Sarah. If you look at uh, there are 1,500 people moving into Surrey every month. The population in Surrey is growing exponentially. Uh, Surrey is going to become the largest municipality, biggest municipality in in BC. And we certainly will need... uh, Uh, more uh, officers on the ground. Okay, so what is your plan for providing that? Like how many officers, how would it be paid for? Uh, First of all, uh, the way I look at it is I have had meetings with the the police chief as well as as a junior and, of course, the police officers. And uh, we can make sure uh, first, you know, as the transition continues, then we can triage the system. Right now, uh, if there is a noise uh, complaint at 11.15 at night, you know, police officers show up. We got to strengthen our bylaw to deal with uh, complaints with the noise, uh, graffiti, uh, littering, you know, all those issues. And at the same time, uh, we'll have a special cell dealing with the traffic uh, as well, because now there's a, a traffic accident. You see two, three police cars come in, and then we take, uh, you know, dedicated police officers off the, off the street. And, and that's what we're going to do. And most importantly, uh, I have seen, police officer dealing with the mental health issues downtown. And we can hire uh, mental health professionals that will be dealing with the, with those situations, and we can coordinate that with the, the Fraser Health. And this is going to be the triage system. But at the same time, uh, we can create a youth hub as well. Because when we look at the public safety, uh, right now in Surrey, 
uh, one of the biggest uh, issue that uh, we are hearing on the doorsteps is is making sure that our young people don't go into into the gangs. And to do that, we're going to have a, a, a youth hub uh, that will certainly direct uh, mayor and the council uh, where those resources should go and uh, which agency should be the ones that should be providing uh, those services. Uh, whether it's dealing with the principals, the students, parent bodies, or liaison officers, to make sure uh, that our resources are better utilized. Right. So, how do and, you and, how do you envision that? Though, how do you keep kids busy so that gangs are not an option for them? Excellent uh, question, Simi. If you look at the four point plan that we launched uh, uh, three months ago when we launched the party, uh, United City, uh, one of them was to invest more into parks and recreation. I know we got to make sure that we provide our kids, uh, you know, the services that they need to to keep themselves active and and make sure they are able to realize their full potential and be who they want to be. But right now, if kids want to register for swimming courses, they don't have sports. You know, if you want to see them getting to the ground, they don't have enough ground. So what we can do is we can uh, double the uh, synthetic uh, uh, turf uh, around study and we can also uh, make sure that it is the citizen driven group or a committee uh, that tells mayor and council uh, where this capital spending should be going across uh, sorry not just one corner but every every corner and we are also gonna gonna make sure there is a more seating capacity and we're gonna have a bench dedication program you know where people will be able to dedicate bench so we have more more seating capacity. Uh, this is the type of uh, things that we got to do uh, to make sure the kids are busy and their active lifestyle, you know, into sports uh, and 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 into the healthy activities. I'd like to go back to something you said a couple of minutes ago, and that had to do with sending more bylaw officers out for noise complaints and things like that. So, do you feel that police time is being taken up by things that Surrey bylaw officers should be taking care of? Certainly it does, because I have personally seen, you know, uh, sometimes there are complaints because after 11 o'clock at night, you know, there is a, a noise complaint. I have seen the police officers show up and, and they take uh, the time and we should be dedicating the bylaw department. We should be modifying that to make sure that bylaw department is strengthened and they are the ones who should be taking care of uh, uh, you know, things that fall into into their uh, jurisdiction. Right. Now, these things cost money, more bylaw officers, more police officers. So how do you propose to fund all of this? Do you foresee an increase in property taxes? Uh, right now, uh, the way I look at it is city have enough resources, uh, you know, sitting. Uh, so we are able to freeze the taxes for the for the first year. And the second year, uh, we can roll back the hidden tax uh, this mayor and council uh, put on each property. They raised it from $100 to $300. By 200%, we're going to bring back to, to $200. I mean, if you look uh, three months ago, same mayor, you know, Doug McCallum and the council were saying it's not doable. And now all of a sudden, you know, it comes to their mind that uh, they're going to freeze the taxes. But our team has gone through the, the finances that are available, and we have the resources uh, to do it. You're saying that that 2.9% property tax rate, that's that's steady, that's doable to fund all these new things? Uh, basically, what we can do is uh, we, we are only doing it for the first year. I'm, te- I'm telling you about the other team that's doing you know, it. When it comes to uh, United City, we are going to make sure that the taxes are frozen for uh, first year only. Okay, so the question that I've also asked every candidate that we've had on here is, 
in the end, I mean, tomorrow's voting day. It's going to be a very important thing. Why should people vote for you? Uh, excellent question. The way we look at it is uh, I'm a professional engineer, uh, BC Lands, where I've been into the construction industry uh, before I got into, into politics. Uh, you know, people have lectured me uh, five times as a member of parliament. And when I look at the United Surrey team, it's a very diverse team from the culture perspective, the talent that they bring in, and also the political spectrum as well. You know, we have, you know, Jasveer Sandhu, who was a former MP uh, for the NDP, and we have Jeff Bridge, who's a, who's a conservative. So we have a very diverse, talented team. So when it comes to professional experience, we have the professional experience. When we need the political experience, we have the political experience. And most importantly, it's the access. You know, I have kept myself accessible to all the people in in in, in Surrey, in fact, around everywhere. People can come to our office and we will serve. But if we look at this way, now the mayor and the council is controlled by uh, land mafia and only a handful of people that get things done. Every other person is waiting because the access is blocked and we will make sure that we bring the integrity, honesty and accountability back to the city and we open up the city for everyone, not just handful insiders of this uh, mayor and the council. Well, listen, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you, Simi. Very best to you and your listeners.